Shalom and welcome to this week's Think Jewish. Um, this week's the class is going to serve as a double purpose. It's going to be a class on the half Torah of Bamidbar, portion Bamidbar. We've mentioned uh, time and time again in the past that because the Jewish people were under persecution that they cannot publicly read from the five books of Moses. So therefore there was a custom instituted that they should read from the prophets and uh, that's called a half Torah. Later when the, uh, the decree against reading publicly the five books of Moses came to an end, we kept both. We now read the Torah and the person who gets the last reading is called Maftir. He also then goes on to read the half Torah. So we're going to talk about the verse of the half Torah, the closing verse of the half Torah about Midbar, which will also serve as a very keen insight to our celebrating the holiday of Shavuot. So as you know, this year, Saturday night, we're going straight from the Shabbat into the holiday of Shavuot. The holiday starts uh, Sunday, I'm sorry, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, Monday. Okay, so let's go ahead and start with this concept, which we're going to call a daily renewal of our marriage vows with God. What is the daily renewal? So let's read the closing verse of the Half Torah. And it says, And I will betroth you to me forever, and I will betroth you to me with righteousness and with justice and with loving kindness and with mercy, and I will betroth you to me with faith, and you shall know the Lord. Okay? In Hebrew, it's the famous verse, there's famous songs about it, and um, you're soon going to see that many have the custom when they wrap the, the three last wraps of the, uh, of the tefillin strap around their middle finger, they actually say it. And each time, it says three times the word betrothed, and every time they do one wrap. Okay? So first of all, how apropos that this closing verse of the Haftorah is the Haftorah of Bamidbar, which is read before the holiday of Shavuot. Why? Because as I've mentioned to you um, in a previous class, that the holiday of Shavuot is actually called our chuppah, our marriage canopy moment with God. When God lifted up the mountain, you also know that we put flowers in shul, and one of the reasons for flowers in shul is because God decorated Mount Sinai with flowers for the occasion of the Ten Commandments. And then he actually, our sages tell us, he lifted the mountain and held it on top of our head. In the work of Kabbalah, this is seen as God placing a chuppah upon our head because we are his bride. And at Mount Sinai, he did what we call erosin. He did the betro betrothal to us. He betrothed us, okay? So therefore, it's very apropos. Now, the three wraps around the finger that I just spoke to you about, when you put on the tefillin, right? Either your left hand or your right hand, depending if you're left or your right, or you put it on your weaker arm. But when you go ahead and you do that, the you put on the hand piece, right? And you go ahead and you put the straps down to your wrist. Then you put on your head piece. And then you go back to your hand and you do the last three wraps around the middle finger a different customs Chabad specific custom is under the knuckle over the knuckle back under the knuckle those three wraps are seen as three wedding bands as we say those words and let's read it again I will be thrown to you to me forever one wrap one wedding band then the second time, I will betroth you to me with righteousness and with justice and with loving kindness and with mercy. The second wrap, the second wedding band. And then we do the third wrap, the third wedding band with the last part of the sentence. And I will betroth you to me with faith and you shall know the Lord. So actually, in a very interesting sense, someone actually shared this concept with me recently, um, last Shabbat, uh, two Shabbats ago, when I, when I was away in New York. Someone actually shared that concept. What a beautiful way of looking at putting on tefillin that the three wraps that we do on our finger are the three wedding bands that we're actually doing and we're renewing our marriage vows with God on a daily, on a daily basis. And thus we actually talk about the va'arashtichli. We're talking about that betrothal that, we're do that God's doing to us as we put on the wedding band on our middle finger. So 
now that we understand this, we have a very simple question. <laughs> Which bride needs three wedding bands? The verse gives us three wedding bands. Number one. Etc. And then the third one is with emunah, with faith. Why do we have to have three wedding bands on our finger as we become the bride to our groom, capital G, God? Okay? To understand this, before we answer the question of why the three wedding bands and why three times God betrothes us, the Erosin, we're going to first have a very interesting introduction, a very interesting argument between the house of Shammai and the house of Hillel. In the Talmud, there is huge amount of disputes, arguments of opinion between Hillel and Shammai, the school of, 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 of uh, Hillel, which is called Bet Shammai, the house of Shammai, and Bet Hillel, the house of Hillel. Okay? Here's a very interesting um, argument quoted in the Talmud in Ketubath. And you may have heard the exact words of this argument in a song played at a wedding. Let me read to you exactly what it is. You may have heard it as a song, but now you'll know what's really going on behind that song. So I'm going to read you the exact text from the Talmud. Our rabbis thought, how, taught, how does one dance before the bride? Bechamai say the bride as she is. Don't start giving compliments that isn't there. And Beth Hill say, Beth beautiful and graceful is the bride. As you know in the song, Kala Noa Vachasuda. Right? That's Hillel's opinion. Beth Shammai said to Beth Hillel, if she was lame or blind, does one say of her beautiful and graceful bride? Question. Whereas the Torah said, keep thee far away from a false matter. Midvar Sheket Tirchak. You're not allowed to speak words of lies. So how can you sing and dance kala na'a beautiful and graceful when she's not beautiful and she's not graceful? Beth Hill answers back to Beth Shammai, according to your words, if one has made a bad purchase in the market, should one praise it in his eyes or depreciate it? Surely one should praise it in his eyes. Therefore the sages say, Always should the disposition of man be pleasant with people. If this is who the man is marrying, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. So don't go ahead and start telling the person, oh my God, she's lame, she's blind. Yes, you should say, she is beautiful and graceful. The question, however, is that Shammai did not answer Hillel's question. It's an outright verse in the Torah. Midvar Sheketirchok, you're not allowed to say a lie. How can you say Kalanovasuda? I, I get what he, what Hillel is saying. If this were the guy bought, then don't rub it in his face. But that's all beautiful, but that doesn't override the verse. Midvar Sheketirchok. So how how do we do that? And the answer is very interesting. To understand the answer, we're gonna have to get Kabbalistic. Okay? The bride is the Jewish soul. The groom is God. Now, this bride has two different types of brides. There is the way the soul is in heaven, in its spiritual source. Over there, the soul is beautiful and graceful. However, there is the way the soul descends down into the physical body. And over there, it may very well be that the bride is lame and blind to spirituality. Thus, the argument in the Talmud now takes on a whole new dimension. There's the soul the way she is up in heaven, in paradise, completely surrounded and encompassed experiencing love and awe for God but then there's the way the soul comes down here and when she comes down here and she's now confined within the capacity paradigm 
of the physical body and the physical mind and the physical heart, now we may be dealing with a lame and blind bride. Lame and, bride, and, and blind to spirituality and to its true feelings to God. Now, let's go back to the argument. What does the word Hillel come from? Interesting enough, we find our sages teach us that the word Hillel comes from a verse in Job, which is Behiloi Neiroi. When he lit his candle, Job talks about how when he lit his candle upon my head, it was comfort, so forth and so on. So the word Behilo means to what? To illuminate. Now let's go back to Hillel's opinion. Hillel's opinion is that if you want to know the truth of who this bride is, even when she's down here, what is the inner true dimension of this bride? We just have to help bring it out to Revelation. But the bride didn't change. It's just now under layers of concealment. But the bride in her true essence is and always will be beautiful and graceful. And thus Hillel is telling Shammai, don't look at the bride the way she is lame and blind because that's just the outer layers. Our job is to reveal to her what her inner layer is all about. And what the bride truly is, is beautiful and graceful. Why this important introduction to the question of the three wedding bands? Because before we get to the three wedding bands, what we really need to appreciate is that when God told us at Mount Sinai, Hare at mikudeshet li, you are betrothed, betrothed unto me. He wasn't talking to the souls in heaven just. He was talking to the souls down here. So when we talk about ourselves being the bride of God, don't think, oh, no, 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 no. When we were in heaven, when we were holy, when we were beautiful, committed, that's when God is our groom. But down here, who wants to uh, marry us? So no, we need to understand what Hillel is telling us. When you look at the Mount Sinai chuppah scene, God is talking to us as we are down here quite often blind and lame to him and to all of spirituality that's why this introduction was so important and now that we understand that we're talking to the bride as she is down here blind and lame to spirituality now we can go back and investigate explore why the three wedding bands now we can go back to understand that okay now let's go back to the three wedding bands one bride three layers okay let's talk about the three layers of this one bride and for it I'm going to break the verse down for you so that we can appreciate each wedding band as it's referred to in the verse let's start okay wedding band number one I will betroth you to me forever what is this what layer of the bride are we talking to so first of all, we have to understand what the word forever means. The word forever means eternal. Eternal does not exist within creation. Not in the physical sense and not even in the celestial sense. Because even in the Garden of Eden, three times a day, there is this elevation from the soul. Even through all our performance of mitzvot, the light of Atzilut is consistently being brought in and is consistently going on changes in the way the spiritual, celestial and physical beings exist. Thus it's not possible to say the word forever to anything which goes through changes. So now Kabbalah tries to understand what layer are we talking to or about when we say the word forever. And the only answer that there is, is that this refers to the inner dimension of the supernal crown. Don't get scared. <laughs> We're going to use Kabbalistic words here, but <laughs> my promise to you when you walk into any of my classes is that you're going to walk out understanding what we're talking about. Okay? So, what does it mean, the inner dimension of the supernal crown? 
The correct name for the inner dimension of the supernal crown, there's two layers. There's the inside and the outside. When we talk about the inner dimension of the crown, we are talking about what's called in Kabbalah, Atika Kadisha. If you want to know where you say those words every single Shabbat, go look into your songs that you sing on Shabbat by the meals. In the third meal, when you sing B'nei Hechala, you actually use the word Atika. What does the word Atika mean? Atika Kadisha simply means the ancient holy, the holy ancient. Now, just an example, okay, let's make it practical. What do you call old Jerusalem? Yerushalayim Atika, the ancient Jerusalem. Okay, so we're talking about primordial, we're talking about the ancient one. The one that does not go through the changes of time. Here's another definition. Kabbalah has two definitions. Another word, definition of the word atika is from the word netak. Netak means separated, cut off. What is the message of this name? The message of this name is that it is separated, unaffected by the cause and effect, the evolution, the ups and the downs of creation. The layer of divinity which is in a consistent communication with creation, goes through changes. You don't use the word forever. When you talk about the inner dimension of the supernal crown, the Atiko Kadisha, the holy ancient one, or the holy separated one, you're talking about that which eternally exists as is without going through phases or changes. Thus, we call this the word li. Many times in the Torah, you'll see an additional word li. Let me give you an example. When God talks about making the sanctuary, what does he say? The asu li, you shall make for me. The sages in the Talmud, not even Kabbalah, wants to know what does that word mean, li, make for me. And the answer it is, it gives is, that whenever God uses the word li, me, he's associating it not with the creation which is ever evolving, rather he's associating it with himself and thus it's eternal. And thus the sanctuary which the Jewish people made for God, even though it's physically been destroyed, it is eternal as a sanctuary unto God. The definition of the word eternal is only when you're dealing with that level of divinity which is not in this cause and effect flow that the Jewish people have with God. The creation has with Creator. Now, a little bit more of Kabbalah. When we talk about the supernal crown, we talk about where it reflects in the ten emanations. And the answer is, it, it manifests itself in the second of the, ten of the ten emanations, which is understanding, right? The first one is wisdom. The second is understanding. I'm not going to take you through the text stuff of proving it. So just take it on my word. It's not my opinion. <laughs> it's the Kabbalah opinion. It's brought on a chassidus that Atika is connected with Bina, understanding. What does that tell us for here tonight? Let's, let's veer away from the from the um, Kabbalah for a moment. If you look in your prayers, you'll find different words for love. There is what we call Ahavat Olam, eternal love, and there's what we call Ahavat Rabbah, the great love. When we talk about the eternal love, what kind of love are we talking about? We are talking about the bride as she is in the layer of understanding. What does that mean? That means that she is capable of meditating and concentrating upon the greatness of God which will give birth within her to the eternal everlasting love to God. And thus the first wedding band is with the word I betrothed you unto me forever. We're talking about the soul that has the capacity to open up its intellect of understanding, to meditate and concentrate upon the eternalism of God, Atika. 
And then what happens is that will reflect itself within his service to God that he is able to have a non-changing, eternal, everlasting love for God. And thus the first wedding band is placed on the bride within her layer of the emanation of understanding. We're talking about the level of soul. And we're going to explain why there's different levels tonight. But we're talking about the first level of the soul. The one that has that openness and intellectual capacity and purity to be able to meditate and concentrate, focused on God until that meditation and concentration overflows into the right side of the heart. And because of where it comes from, the love for God is not a pedulum which he loves me, loves me not, loves me, loves me not. No, it's an eternal everlasting love called Ahavat Olam. Layer number one, wedding band number one. Let's go to wedding band number two. What are the words it says in wedding band number two? So I read to you the verse, let's quote it again. And I will betroth you to me with righteousness and with justice and with living kindness and with mercy. We're not talking about forever. We're talking about a whole bunch of stuff. What are these things listed here? So first of all, know that the word for righteousness in Hebrew is what? Tzedek. The word tzedek is from which word? Tzedakah. What does tzedakah mean? Charity. This layer is talking about the bride as she can no more be open, intellectually open-mindedness to the clarity of spiritual understanding. Rather, she's dealing on the emotional level. What is the emotional level we're talking about here? Number one, charity, which is an act of chesed, kindness. And as the verse says, great is charity, which brings redemption. It'll bring out love. Number two, we're talking about justice. What is justice? Because you need both emotions. You need the right, which is kindness. You need the left, which is justice. We can't just love God. We also have to deal and eradicate and judge the evil within ourselves. What's the third thing he mentions? The loving kindness of mercy and mercy. So I want to share with you a very interesting teaching of our sages based on a verse in Isaiah. The verse makes, the, the concept makes no sense. Jacob who redeemed Abraham. Now if you know the timeline of our patriarchs, you will know that Jacob was 15 years old when Abraham passed away. We have zero teachings of any incident where Jacob redeemed Abraham. We just didn't have that. So what is going on here? Zohar explains it. Kabbalah explains it. Hasidus explains it. And what do they explain? Abraham is love. Jacob is compassion, right? You have the three forefathers. Abraham is love. Je Isaac is strictness and justice. And Jacob is compassion, right? Mercy. Now, what happens when the soul, this is a teaching in Tanya. And Tanya teaches us how to love God. Not just make it a holy mitzvah, I love God. No, we're talking about really, really love God. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. You say it every day in your Shema. The Ahafta et Hashem you shall love God your Lord. How do you do that? So the answer is the mind leads to the heart. Now what happens here? So step number one was meditate, concentrate on God. To quote a teaching, to know God is to love God, right? I, I don't want to get into this right now, but very important, especially in the 12-step program, when you do step number two and step number three, when we talk about the God of our understanding, the God you don't love means you don't know God. That's someone else's God, someone else's baggage. So the God of my understanding has to be a God I love and feel loved by. If not, I'm still dealing with some teacher who was dysfunctional and used his ruler to keep on hitting me on my fingers. So to know God is to love God. But what happens if I'm not capable of doing that? The mind, the dysfunctional, the physical darkness. I just am not open. I'm lame and blind intellectually. I cannot think about God. 
be so focused until it becomes so tangible his goodness that I eternally love him. What's the next step? So the Alter Rebbe tells us in Tanya there's another way. When the step A doesn't work, you step B. And now here's where we get to that teaching from Isaiah. What happens is that when I cannot, I see that my soul is so locked into its cage, its prison, that it cannot feel its most natural feelings, which is to love God, I feel sorry for my soul. I arouse compassion and mercy because I now begin to understand how great my soul comes from a place where it ate bread, it, everything. All it did was bask in its feelings of God. It was conscious of God and thus it had love for God. And now it came all the way down here and in order to have an elevation and what is it going through? No elevation at all. It's denied to be able to feel its own feelings. That leads to compassion, mercy. Now, go back to Isaiah. You cannot hate someone when you feel sorry for them. It's just that simple. When you feel sorry for someone, you will actually, what will you do? You will end up loving that person. Go back to the verse. Jacob, right, which is all about compassion. What does he do? He redeems. He arouses love, Abraham. So step number two is the emotional level. It's the emotional level of learning how to give charity. It's the emotional level of learning how to pray with compassion. When you pray, you're praying because you feel sorry. I feel sorry for you, I pray for you. How about feeling sorry for our own soul? Which would lead us to pray for it. Which would lead us to use our emotions to arouse a love for God. Wedding band number two. Okay? Let's go now to, and by the way, that love, remember the first love I spoke to you was about eternal, everlasting love. Ahavat olam. Now we're talking about ahavat rabah. Great love which comes from compassion. Now let's talk about the third wedding band. What is the third wedding band? Let's go ahead and read the third part of the verse. And I will betroth you to me with faith, emunah. What are we talking about here? What happens if the bride, the soul, the person, has descended so deep into the darkness of physical pursuit? The only paradigm and passion it has is only its physical pursuit. Fame, money, beauty, power. What happens then? This individual is not even capable of feeling sorry for their soul. So much so that even if there's sudden thought, a flash in their mind where they really feel sorry for their Judaism, they feel sorry for the relationship with God, they shake it off because it doesn't penetrate they're too now overwhelmed with their total overindulgence of their physical pursuit. How does this bride become engaged to God, betrothed to God? And thus we have that last part of the sentence, not the last part, but thus we have the next part of the sentence, which says, with faith. Because the one rule we know that every single Jew, regardless of how low he or she may have descended into their physical paradigm, their physical passion, their physical reality, every Jew is maminim b'nei maminim, believers, the offspring of believers. And thus it is on that finger of faith that this third layer of the bride receives the wedding band from God. So we talk about the three wedding bands, we talk about the three layers of the bride as she goes through different descents into darkness. We speak about the first one who is still capable of a conscious understanding and thus can arouse within herself the everlasting love 
Thus it's verashtichli le'olam, forever. Then we have the second layer, the bride, which is not capable of the intellectual open-mindedness to divinity, to spirituality. But what she does have is the power of charity and breeding compassion, which will redeem love. Thus she has also that finger of emotions upon which God can place the wedding band. And then we have the third bride. The third bride is not even capable of emotionally connecting with God. What she has is the faith which drives her actions. Upon the finger of faith that every Jew has, for this bride, God places the wedding band and she becomes God's bride. Now let's go to a very interesting question. It's time to talk about this. Why three layers? Why three brides? Three layers to one bride. Why? So to understand this, I'm about to give you Evolution 101 Crash Course. It's going to get Kabbalistic, and again, you're hearing a lot of Kabbalah today, but see through it. Okay, I don't teach Kabbalah, I teach Chassidus. Chassidus is all about head in the clouds, feet in the ground, and make it happen. That's what we're going to do here, okay? So get past all the terminology and see what it does for us in the day-to-day -day life, okay? So, let's understand this. What is Evolution 101? There is a world called Atzilut. The word Atzilut means, I'm just going to focus on one interpretation tonight for us. The word Atzilut means close, to be close to. Etzel, he is close to, okay? The definition of the word Atzilut, closeness means that it is close to God. So close that upon this world we say concerning its vessels and its light, its vessels and its light is so absolute transparent to God that it is one with God. He and the light is one. He and the vessels are one. So in this world, the realm of this world is absolute divinity. For tonight's class, we're going to refer to this world as Atzilut, as the groom. Okay? Now, after this world comes along a huge contraction and a huge concealment, which then allows only for one radiance of the 10th emanation, known as kingship, Malchut, to penetrate through. And from that one radiance of the lowest, the 10th emanation of the higher world, we create the supernal crown of the lower world. And from there we then work out the entire ten emanations and the next world is created. Okay? Now, let's go back to Atzilut. We're going to talk about four, four worlds. How many letters is there in the ineffable tetragrammaton of God? Four letters. Tetragrammaton actually means four letters. The first letter is Yud. What is Yud? Yud is a simple dot. Absolute humbleness. This world of Atzilut is the manifestation of the dot which is called the emanation of wisdom. The four letters, the four worlds are going to equal the ten emanations. And thus we'll talk about the groom and the three levels of the bride. Okay? So what are we talking about here? The world of Atzilut is the oneness with God. For tonight, we're going to call it the groom. We're going to call it wisdom. If you look in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says twice in Tanya that my teacher, the great Magid, has taught that only wisdom is completely capable of housing the essence of the infinite light. Okay. So here we're talking about the groom. What is the next world? The next world, which comes from that one radiance of the tenth emanation, of Atzilut is called Bria, creation. What is the definition of the word creation? The minute you hear the word creation, you know that there's two things here. Creator, creation. Thus the world of Bria is where the concept of ego is born. I am a somebody. Creator, God. God created me, but he created a something. I am a something, right? In the world of Latin, ancient Latin, we call it ex nihilo, something from nothing. 
In Hebrew, we call it yesh ma'ayin, something from nothing. So in this world, we begin the process of the creation having its own ego. We're now talking about the bride. The bride is beginning to become lame and blind. It's no more absolute, transparent, and one with God. It's beginning to have an ego. Ego denies us the absolute transparency and oneness with God. Now what happens? Let's go to the letters of the Tetragrammaton. This represents the letter Hey. The physical picture of the letter Hey in comparison to the letter Yud is expansion. Yud is a dot. Hey is already expansion, right? We have something that looks more like a box missing the bottom thing, the bottom line, okay? This represents the world of understanding. Why is understanding ego? Because with wisdom, we're very practically feeling, that was a bad sentence, but okay. We are practically feeling that this wisdom is coming from somewhere higher. Have you ever heard the terminology and the coin dropped? Have you ever experienced when you're trying to figure out a riddle? That's not understanding, that's wisdom, creativity. Have you ever realized that all of a sudden out of nowhere, you just, wow, I got it. It wasn't that regular process of elimination. Wisdom is humble. It absolutely acknowledges that this is coming from somewhere higher. What happens with understanding? Understanding is already where we roll up our sleeves. I'm starting to feel my capacity of being able to study, to be able to understand. So we're talking about the ego. Thus, in this layer, we're talking about understanding. Here, we're talking about the bride as she embraces the wedding band of forever. Because even though we're beginning with an ego, we're not talking about the groom, we're talking about the bride. But this bride is still open to that open-mindedness which allows my mind to be able to absorb to be able to meditate, to be able to concentrate, not upon me, but upon God. <laughs> Came across a very interesting saying today. You've got to pick up a hobby which isn't about me, myself, and I. <laughs> so we're still there. We have that capacity. Now from this world of Bria, once again, contraction, concealment, only a radiance of the tenth emanation of the world of Bria. And what comes out of that? The supernal crown, which then formulates the entire next lower world, which is called Yitzira. Yitzira is formation. Let's understand what the word formation means. Over here, the ego is not just the simplicity of, I'm a somebody, but rather now we're seeing ourselves in specific, particular detail of formation. When you deal with plain mass, you can still play with it. You can form it into any way you want. But when we've gone from the mass of creation ex nihilo, and we've now evolved into the formation of Yetzira, the ego now strengthens. And together with the ego strengthening, what automatically happens? The lights in the vessels lose more transparency to God. So here we're not even capable of the understanding open-mindedness, but rather we're more stuck in our way, but we still have emotions. What letter is the third letter of the ineffable tetragrammaton? The letter Vav. The letter Vav in numerical value is what? Six. How many emotions are there? Six. Plus the physical picture of the letter Vav. The letter Vav is a Yud with a line coming down. In Chassidus and Kabbalah we talk about how we're now drawing down divinity into the human experience of emotions. Thus this bride can only wear the wedding band of what? Betzedek uvemishpat bechesed uberachamim. Emotions. We're talking here about kindness. We're talking about giving charity. As the Talmud says, Rabbi Lezer says, give a, a, give a coin to charity before you pray and then pray. 
Because charity, I told you, redeems. It allows us to be able to open up our emotions to a total different set of love and fear. Selfless God. So this wedding band is all about the emotions. Now let's go to the next stage of the evolution. Because even after the world of Yitzirah formation, there's another contraction, there's another concealment, and through that is only allowed a penetration of one radiance of the tenth emanation of the world of formation. And voila, what do we have? The supernal crown of the last world, which is called Asiya, action. In this world, the vessels and the light has become so dark, lacks complete, I shouldn't say the word complete, but lacks majority of its transparency. And thus it's not open to the intellectual connection with God. Ahavat olam, eternal love, everlasting love. It's not open to the emotional connection with God, which ahavat the great love. All it has is what? In the world, the physical world of darkness, where we experience the absolute lame and blindness of the bride. What we have going for us what we have over here is faith. In the world of action, what we have that connects us to God is the faith that drives our actions. Even when we don't understand, even when we don't feel, we do. It's on that finger of this bride that God places the wedding, the wedding band, the third wedding band. And thus you see how this verse is talking directly to the soul, the bride. As she descends, she leaves the world of Atzilut, she goes into the ego of Amma, something of creation, and thus she doesn't have the absolute transparency of wisdom, but she does have the transparency of understanding, open-mindedness. Then we talk about the next layer, Yitzirah, formation which doesn't even have the open-mindedness of the intellectual of, okay, God, let me hear what you have to say, but it does have the power of feeling sorry for its soul in prison, and thus it has compassion, it gives charity, right? What's the rule? If you want God to be kind to you, be kind to someone else, and you're in need of kindness, you're in need of compassion. So you give the charity, you focus on your prayer, you're feeling sorry for your soul which allows it to break through with at least the great love not the eternal everlasting love but the great love and then we talk about the third wedding band to the third layer of the bride where even that emotional feeling sorry for the soul doesn't exist it's not even on our radar screen tell me what's doing in the market tell me how i look that's all that's on the radar screen right now and thus, what this bride has to offer is nothing but the absolute genetic faith that lies in every Jew. That even when we don't understand, even when we don't feel, and we're busy becoming a who, what, when, we're, we still show up in synagogue in the high holidays. Why? Don't ask me why. It's just a faith that drives us Jews. So we speak about the three brides, we speak about the three wedding bands, and the verse in which God puts three wedding bands on the bride's finger. The finger of understanding, the finger of compassion, and the finger of faith. However, I don't expect you to remember this still right now after this whole talking, talking, talking. But let's go back to the verse. The verse isn't finished. If you remember, let me go back and read the verse to you again. There was another piece to this verse. And what is the other piece to the verse? After that, I will betroth you for me forever. I will betroth you to me with righteousness and with justice and with loving kindness and with mercy. And I will betroth you to me with faith. There's another word here. And you shall know the Lord. What is that and you shall know the Lord referring to? I think we covered all our bases here. We got the groom. We got the three layers of the bride. What now? Aha. Uh -huh. Listen carefully to what the sages taught us. Mount Sinai was primarily Erosin. It was primarily the betrothal. She became a kala, a bride. Not that she became 
a wife. So Mount Sinai is the beginning of a process. But we have to get to marriage. Now, come back with me, please, to Genesis. How does Torah refer to the first marriage between a, a human man and a human woman? The Adam yada et chava. And Adam knew Eve. That oneness. Now let's go back to our verse. What does it say? And you shall know God. What is this verse telling us? This verse is telling us that the ultimate experience that we're looking for is not to be the bride of God, but to be the wife of God. And that makes a big difference. Because on the night of the wedding, after the chuppah, the bride does not have to cover her hair. Because the fulfillment of marriage doesn't happen until later that night they consummate their commitment to each other. And then by the next morning she has to wear a wig. That consummation of the ultimate becoming one. To know and to be known by God. That is the destiny of this verse. And thus the verse is telling us. How do we get from Mount Sinai to Mashiach? How do we get from the chuppah? To the marriage. And the answer is, work your three wedding bands. Understanding, Torah study. Emotions. We're talking about giving charity before davening and davening. Faith. Action of mitzvot. And thus the verse tells us, keep on and keep on and keep on renewing your chuppah vows every morning wrap the strap around your finger you know that whenever we talk about a male mitzvah so the female we're taught again and again that the female doesn't have to have the physical action to be able to experience the spiritual light but nevertheless the woman also has to every morning she doesn't need to have the black strap actually wrapped around her middle finger. But she does have to renew her marriage, her, her, her Arison vows, her chuppah vows. She has to commit in the morning, Torah study, charity and prayer, and faith to do what I have to do or not do what I'm not allowed to do, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't understand it. Then we get from there through these three wedding bands that we recommit every morning, we get to the next stage, which is bringing Mashiach and having the fulfillment of the absolute marriage of to know. To know and to be known by our husband God, to truly be one with him. In closing, what I've taught until now is a teaching from the Rebbe on this Shabbat in the year... 1968. What I want to close with is my own personal thoughts upon the difference between a bride and a wife. You see, in halacha, in Jewish law, we talk about a wife, and it has, it has its ramifications, its practical ramifications in law. But we talk about this notion of libo gaspa. The husband and the wife, they have a coarseness to each other. And the word coarseness here in this teaching actually means a very tangible familiarity with each other. Totally familiar with each other. So we can actually trust them with each other. We don't have to make them move into different houses every time that time of the month comes. Even though they're forbidden to each other physically. Because at this point we say there's a familiarity, there's no like the Yetzirahs racing, like it, it, they know each other, been there, done that, you can trust them. So on one hand, that is an unbelievable level of unity. And yes, we all yearn and pray for that Mashiach moment of absolute marriage where so to speak God and us will have that absolute familiarity with each other that will be gaspa, so to speak, coarse. 
when I use the word course, I just want to make it understood here. It's not in my notes, but you know how you behave when you sit in your own house by the table? That's course compared to where you behave when you're a guest by someone else's table. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a certain familiar. You're not sitting there so acha-cha-cha-cha and so, you know, yeah, <laughs> when no one's looking, right? <laughs> we pick up the bowl of soup. Okay, we won't go any further. But let's go further here with this concept. Now let's stop for a moment and let's talk about the beauty of being a bride. Because until Mashiach comes, we're only a bride. We're not a wife. There's something very beautiful about not being taken for granted. There's something very beautiful about the relationship where I'm just a bride. I wonder if he still loves me after I did that. And suddenly you have the reaffirmation from our groom, capital G. Yes, I love you regardless of what you do. In the husband level, we kind of start taking that for granted, <laughs> right? Even in California, right, under, under the canopy, they say until further notice. But it's to be accepted that it's yes until it's no. But when you're just engaged, when you're just at that first stage, there's this newness that we're not totally settled in. And because we're not totally settled in, we still have that refreshing smile that total relief and feel of pleasance when there are those moments. Wow, he really does love me unconditionally. Now let's be practical. Presently speaking, the laws of Shabbat, the laws of Kashrut, the laws of praying three times a day, they're not etched in us. They don't go without moments of doubts and moments of frustration and moments of I really don't know why I'm doing this. We still have those moments with God where we're lacking that libo gaspa. It's not etched and engraved in one in my being. There's still those moments. And then when you pass through those moments, you do it anyway. And you just get a little sign from God letting you know that did not go unnoticed. shouldn't say this but all right I say many things I shouldn't say you know once you're married and you see your spouse's name show up on the caller ID mm. but when you're engaged no matter how busy you are when that name shows up you're smiling you've gone completely deaf to the entire meeting taking place around you we have that now in exile we have that beauty that when God does send us a little message, you're not unnoticed. I see what you're going through, and I see those little gifts that you keep on sending me. That's the beauty of Shavuot. That's the beauty of standing under the chuppah and have God placing on our finger wedding band after wedding band after wedding band. Thank you.